morning, church. My name is Pastor Ed Mejia. I am the church planting resident here at Living Hope Church, and it's a privilege and a joy to bring the word to us this morning. Uh, it was a great time of worship. It was great to look at the beauty and the glory of our King of Majesty. Amen. If you heard that little yeah, yeah a second ago, I had a little hot mic. I was, I was into it. I'm sorry. My mic was on, and I didn't realize it. Sorry about that. <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you, let's head over to John chapter 18. Today we're continuing our series titled Crucified Risen Savior. We're taking a closer look at how Jesus saved sinners from the wrath of God and from the penalty of sin, death. The last four chapters of John are laying before us the events that led up to Jesus' death on the cross and his triumph over death by his resurrection. Today we're going to be reading John chapter 18 from verses 28 to 40. Now, I remember being in history classes in high school, and they would always talk about the trials of the century. There was always like every generation had what they would call the trial of the century. And typically, the trial of the century title was designated to these court cases that were so impactful to all of society that it would literally change the landscape of the world to some extent, or at least the last landscape of our country. And I mean, when I was a kid, I thought, I thought the OJ trial was the trial of the century. Definitely wasn't, right? But I remember it was such a big deal that my, my, I think it was my junior high school teacher stopped the class to see what the verdict was, right? But today we are actually going to be looking at the trial of the century. And for that, I need to cue the people's court music. Right? What's the charge? Blasphemy. Who's the prosecutor, the chief high priest in the Sanhedrin, the presiding judge, Pontius Pilate, and the defendant, the Son of God. For this reason, our sermon title today is The Whole Truth. Today, our aim is to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So let's pray together and dive in. Amen. Father, we thank you. You are the God of all truth. And Father, that your word promises that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Father, would you speak to your people today? Holy Spirit, would you open hearts, open minds, open ears. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see beautiful, wonderful things in what you have done, Father. As we look at this trial, Father, help us to, to remember what you've done that we would be in awe, that our hearts would swell up with praise and worship, Lord, and devotion and, and confidence that we have a God who is for us, who is good to us. And we ask that you would bless our time together. It's in your great name we pray. Amen and amen. So let's give a little background here before we dive in. Last week, we read how Judas betrayed Jesus, how the Pharisees wrongfully arrested Jesus, we were able to see the contrast between Jesus accepting God's will, that this is God's way, by laying down his life to spare and save the disciples and, and to save us, as opposed to Peter, right, who denied knowing Jesus to spare his own life. And well, let's just say it's been a long night, especially for Jesus. A long night of questioning, of assault, he's been beat up. By now it's early morning and up to this point, the Jews have determined that Jesus is guilty of the crime of blasphemy. But they have one more thing getting in the way of their plan. They can't 
legally kill Jesus. The, the, the high priest, the chief high priest, and the whole Sanhedrin uh, don't have the authority to execute a death sentence. And so the elders, the scribes, and all of them take the next step to ensure that the verdict for the execution comes about by bringing the case of Jesus before Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman prefect. Basically, he is the senior Roman government official. So let's read verses 28 to 32, and let's see how Jesus' trial was transferred over and why. It said, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So here we see the high priest and and the mob lead Jesus to the governor's headquarters, otherwise known as the praetorium which some would say was a a large fortress located on the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. Uh, The Jewish delegation didn't enter into the headquarters like we read here because entering a Gentile home or a business entailed seven days of defilement. And remember, they're in the middle of celebrating the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, And if you're not familiar with those celebrations, the Passover, if you remember, is an observance instituted in the events of Exodus 12. Where God told the Israelites to gather in their homes, told them to kill an unblemished animal, to take some of the blood, and to apply it to the doorposts. And then they were to cook and eat the animal together, and the spirit of death was going to be released upon Egypt. And death would pass over any door that had the blood applied to it. Some scholars also suggest that the Last Supper, where where Jesus had his meal with his disciples, was a Passover meal. But now the Feast of Unleavened Bread also followed along with this same celebration. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a a week-long remembrance of of that consecrated the coming season. It may be considered an extension of the Passover rather than an independent holiday. So so the text is putting this holiday smack dab in the middle of everything that's going on. It's about two-week celebration, and they don't want to miss this. They want to be a part of this. So they spoke to Pilate from the open courtyard in the praetorium. They wanted to stay clean for the celebration. And in verse 29, we see Pilate, he knows this about them. So he comes out to the courtyard and he does the unofficial questioning. Like, what's the charge you bring to this man? But before we dive into that, who was Pilate? Well, Pilate was an appointed um, governor by the, by, by, by the Roman Imperial Tiberius. And he served as the governor of Judea. His assignment was to keep close control of Judea during the Passover week. Little's known about his early or later years. But most procurators really disliked being stationed that far away from Rome. Not only that, they're in a hostile territory. It's a dry land. They, they don't really like the people. So, so let's just say Pilate's, his default is cranky, right? He's, he's not happy being here. In fact, Josephus, the historian, tells us that he was a rash and, and petty governor. And his greater concern, of course, was the interest of Rome. 
But on the other hand, the Jews also hated Pilate. They, they hated him for his harshness and the fact that he was a Gentile ruling over them. Pilate despised them and eventually, in AD 36, they were actually able to get Pilate recalled back to Rome. In other words, there's already tension here before we even jump into this trial between the Jews and Pilate. They don't really see eye to eye at all. And so in verses 29 and 30, Pilate asks for the charge against this man. Notice how the Jews' response was elusive. Talk about answering the question but not answering it at all. They said, hey, if, if, if he didn't have any problems or any crime, we wouldn't have brought him to you. That's not answering the question. It's clear the high priest knew Jesus wasn't guilty. They simply had nothing on Jesus but an agenda. And in verse 31, judging by the response, Pilate tells them to deal with it among their own Jewish laws. He's like, hey, man, that's like small claims court. Like, go deal with that among yourselves. See, an argument about ceremonial requirements of Jewish law had no standing in Roman court. At this time, Pilate refused to be their executioner. He knew what was going on. In fact, he's, he's there particularly to stop like rioting and these people getting out of hand. So I know Pilate saw the, the big welcome they gave Jesus just a week ago. He knew what was going on. He knew there was envy behind this accusation. And now Pilate sees why they came. The Jews said to him in verse 31, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. The Jews seem to have lost the official right to execute uh, capital punishment. But in certain cases, people were stoned. But see, Jesus was popular and the Sanhedrin wanted him dead, if possible, killed by the Romans. They could condemn, but they could not execute legally. And here I want to pause for a minute because we got we to gotta talk about the depravity of man here. I mean, look, the chief high priest in the Sanhedrin have accused Jesus of blasphemy we saw last week with no proof. They literally challenged Jesus, questioned his disciples and his teachings. And Jesus was like, hey, my teachings are a public record. What have I said? Where have I blasphemed God? They had nothing on him, and they just keep pushing this case forward on an innocent man. And then the second thing we see is that they appear concerned with not breaking the law. They, 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 they're, they, they're saying, hey, it's not legal for us to execute anybody. We can't legally kill anyone. And somehow they managed to use the law to fulfill their agenda of killing this man. Listen, because of sin in the heart of man, we have seen humans do horrible things in the name of the ends justifying the means. Because of sin in the heart, we can often do what we think is right for the wrong reasons. But glory be to Jesus Christ, who came to show us what humans were actually meant to be. He came to be the solution to that deep sin problem in the heart of man. Amen? And in verse 32, John adds this final statement here, adding again to the point that, that this is a prophetic fulfillment, that what's happening here is not a surprise to God or to Jesus, that this was happening according to prophetic promises. 
See, historically, Jewish capital punishment would inflict, would be inflicted by stoning, which means, you know, you would get stoned, bones would break, but it was prophesied that the Messiah would not break any bones. And, and plus, a Roman crucifixion would put Christian, would put Jesus under the curse of God by hanging on a tree. Death by hanging was considered being cursed of God. If you, if you need a reference, that's Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23, and Galatians 3, 13. And so we see up to this point, in order to make this verdict stick for the death sentence at the hands of the Romans, the chief high priest needs to charge Jesus now with a political crime. Because Pilate is not going to execute Jesus for a religious crime. They need to, to, the charge to, to be more of a threat to Rome, such as claiming to be king of the Jews in rebellion to Caesar, which is then committed, that's committing treason according to Roman law. And that, that crime is punishable by death. And yet here we find the heart of our text today, an unexpected conversation between Jesus and Pilate. And I say unexpected because it was supposed to be an interrogation for a trial. But instead, the conversation turns into more of an interview with a king from another kingdom. Let's read their conversation in verses 33 to 38 and see how Jesus is questioned by Pilate. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, they went back outside to the Jews and told him, I find no guilt in this man. So Pilate enters his headquarters, along with Jesus. Seeing the attitude of the Jewish people towards Jesus, he asks them directly. He's like, hey, let's just, just get to it. Are you king of the Jews? Pilate is trying to figure out if the claims the Jews are making are true, and, and number one, and number two, if, if this is a threat that needs to be extinguished, like right here, right now. His direct question, Pilate could also be expressing his surprise that Jesus didn't look like the pretender trying to snatch the throne in Judea. He might have been expecting more of a William Wallace type, you know, the type to spit in your face or spit in the face of danger. Right? One commentator said it like this. He said, Pilate had expected to meet a sullen, belligerent rebel and met instead a calm Majesty of confident superiority. Pilate doesn't see this crazy man. He sees that Jesus is humble, not brash. That he's seeking peace, not war. That he's making promises and not threats. 
In verse 34, Jesus answers Pilate's question with a question. That is such a Jesus thing to do, right? To answer a question with a question. He says, do you say this yourself or did others say this about me? Doesn't it sound like, like that conversation that he had with the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Or how about the conversation with the blind man in John chapter 9? In fact, doesn't it remind you of a conversation he had with his own disciples? Hey, who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? So he's kind of asking Pilate a very similar question here. Are you saying this because that's what you heard about me? Or are you coming to your own conclusions about who I am? Pilate's response is distancing in verse 35. He says, am I a Jew? He doesn't want to get involved. He also appears irritated with Jesus' response. Like, it's not like, this, this is not the normal kind of conversation that Pilate has with people. If he asks you something, he expects an answer. That's it. Not another question. And so he establishes dominance. He's like, listen, I'm not the one here who got delivered over. You did. And you got delivered over to me by your own people. What have you done? Let's just get to it. What have you done? Jesus tells Pilate of his kingdom. Affirming, right, that he is a king. You can't have, you can't be a king without a kingdom. So him even starting, my kingdom is not of this world, is already affirming, yes, I am a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. world. And, and, and in these words, we see an affirmation of his kingship, but we also see an important and necessary distinction that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world it's of another realm it's of another domain jesus continues to say this is how you would know Pilate. this is how you know that my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world if i was an ordinary revolutionary i would have had an army fighting for me i mean no one would hand me over i would be untouchable But my kingdom isn't like that. And I'm not that type of king. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Verse 36, notice how Jesus describes his kingdom in a similar nature to the way the kingdom is seen in the Old Testament prophecies of Daniel. If you're taking notes, Daniel chapter 2 verses 44 and Daniel chapter 7 verse 14. It describes the kingdom of God with these characteristics. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that transcends location. It's a kingdom that is eternal and knows no end. A kingdom that is made up of every nation and every tribe. A kingdom that is antithetical to the ways things are done in the natural. And look at verse 37. Pilate seems confused by Jesus' response. And without debating anything Jesus says, he goes back to the central question. So you are a king. Pilate knows this is the most important question. He's like, I, I don't, I'm not interested in anything else right now. I need to know, are you a king or not? And it's important both for the political matter, right, by which he's going to condemn him for treason. But it's also for the spiritual matter who this man really is. So you are a king. Jesus affirms Pilate's conclusion. I like how the NASB says that. It says, you say correctly 
that I'm a king. But he moves on to tell Pilate his purpose as king of another kingdom. And listen, it's not to conquer earthly kingdoms, at least not at this moment. It's not to rule or control by fear and intimidation. It's not to advance by military force. And and, and I want you to think about this for a minute. Because Pilate, in the middle of this conversation, is under the Roman uh, emperor Tiberius. And he's now, like, exposed, encountering a king that is unlike any he's ever known. This whole conversation is foreign to Pilate. Because Jesus is the king of another kingdom from another world, we have to stop here and ask ourselves a few questions, church. Who is your king? Who are you following? Are you bowing to the king of the kingdoms of this world or a king from another world? Here's an important question for us. Are the ways of God foreign to you? Or are the ways of this world foreign to you? Are you preoccupied with building your own little kingdoms here on earth? Men, let me talk to you for a minute. Brothers, let me ask you. Are you living in such a way that you are the king of your life? You're working hard, obsessing over material things and material comforts and having things exactly the way you like it. Yes, a big old house and a nice truck and a wife that's better off seen and not heard. Are you working to build your kingdom here? Sisters, ladies, are are you trying to build your kingdom through your own performance and perfection? Are you concerned with external things and appearances? Are you trying to crown yourself through your success and achievements and proving yourself? Another question we got to ask is, are we living here like citizens of another kingdom? Here are some ways you would know. The kingdoms of this world are, are, is a kingdom of tit for tat. It's an eye for an eye, a, a tooth for a tooth. It, it carries the sword, not the cross. But the kingdom from another world, right? It's, it's not a kingdom where we return evil for evil and violence for violence. We return evil with good. We turn the other cheek. We go the second mile. We love people. We pray for our enemies. We, as citizens of the kingdom of God, are a people marked by forgiveness and grace. And the other question we got to ask ourselves is, Is our lives, is your life oriented around the agenda of God's kingdom? See, Pilate has one agenda right here. Keep the emperor happy. Keep the control. Jesus has a completely different agenda in this conversation. And Jesus taught us to pray. He taught the disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the ways that we see that happening is through sharing the gospel. When we share the gospel with the lost and we see people come to saving faith, the kingdom of God continues to go forward. We gotta orient, orient our lives around the goals of God's kingdom. And what did Jesus, our king, say the kingdom agenda was? To seek and save the lost. Now please don't misunderstand me here. 
having stuff or status isn't necessarily evil. We're talking about the heart here, right? And living for Jesus has massive implications for life on earth. As citizens of this kingdom, we need to get our priorities correct. We got to get it right. And we do that by heeding the biblical call to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things that make you anxious, all the things, he says, will be added to us. Listen, we may be in it, but we're not of it. And you know, when I was reading this and thinking about that, this foreign exchange here, (laughs) I remember when I went to Honduras for the first time. See, I was born in Honduras, lived there for three years, and then we moved to Brooklyn. And then I didn't go back to Honduras till I was 14. When I went back, by then, I was more Brooklyn than anything else. And I remember the culture shock that it was even for me. I could have said, I mean, in Brooklyn, where people say, where are you from? I would say, Honduras, (laughs) right? But once I was in Honduras, guess what? I did not feel like I was from Honduras. And this is when I knew. It's going to be a a, a crazy, like, watch, follow this. They they said, Ed, you want a soda? Go to the store. Here, take some money, go get a soda. I'm 14, I'm going to the store, get a soda. I go to this little shack, and I ask for a Coke. Guy pulls out a Coke bottle. I was like, yo, you guys still have the Coke bottles? This is cool. He pops that thing and he says, hey, do you, is it for here to go? And I was like, for here to go? Uh, to go? And he takes the soda, grabs like a Ziploc bag, pours the soda into the bag, puts a straw in it, ties it up and says, okay, here you go. And I was like, thanks. Totally confused as to why I'm drinking soda out of a Ziploc bag. I later find out from my family that they're like, hey, listen, we don't have a recycling system here. So if you want to drink a soda out of the bottle, you got to drink it there and just give it back. They put it on the tray, they pick them up and refill them. That's why they won't give you the bottle. And I was like, really? Then there was another morning where I'm playing soccer outside, right? And I'm, I'm, I got sneakers on. And then this kid comes out from across the street. And I was in a poor neighborhood. And it was a rocky, like, pebbled street, like, rocky, hard street. And this kid comes out and starts playing soccer without shoes. And, and that's, I mean, that is, broke my heart. But you know what killed me? That he was destroying me in soccer. He's doing it with no shoes on. And I kid you not, I gave my kid, I gave the kid my sneakers. I was like, hey man, this is all you, man. He was so used to it. He was like, oh no, man, this is how I play. I'm accustomed to this. I was in Honduras saying in New York that I was from Honduras, but I actually wasn't. It was foreign to me. This is what the Christian life should feel like for us. We're in it, but we're not of it. Things are different where we're from. Our citizenship is in heaven. And this isn't about being an American versus a Latin American. No, this is about being in Christ. Being in the kingdom of the Son and being in the kingdom of this world. And see, I, I didn't feel like, I'm telling you, it, was, it, it shocked me. I, I, I came back and in, number one, I was just amazed at how wonderful my culture was, but I, I didn't realize how distant I was from it. And see, in the same way, growing in God's kingdom will make the things of the world feel foreign to us. And so in the next verse, Jesus tells Pilate the whole truth about his purpose as a king of another kingdom. Let's read together verse 37. Look what he says his purpose is. For this purpose I was born. 
And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is revealing himself to Pilate here, y'all. It's amazing. The eternal one who comes from, from eternity, from, from, from the triune God, he is showing himself to Pilate in this moment. He's revealing his divine role, he's, he, that he's born a king, now functioning as a prophet who bears witness to the truth, and soon he will go before the Father as a priest on behalf of sinners. And the second thing he's revealing is his divine nature. He tells them without apology, I have come into this world. Which means Jesus is eternal. He's, he, he's existed. He's always existed. And here's the third thing he reveals to Pilate. That God calls everyone to listen to the truth. And he gives us ears to hear his calling. John chapter 10 verses 3 and 4 tells us. Whoever hears the truth. Hears the voice of Jesus. Not the voice of Buddha. Not the voice of Mohammed. Not the voice of David Koresh or any other co-leader. If you're hearing truth. It's the voice of Jesus that you're hearing. In essence, Jesus teaches Pilate the whole truth and nothing nothing but the truth that everyone needs the voice of Jesus in their life. Everyone needs the voice of truth. If you don't know Jesus today, we are praying today that you would hear his voice, that you would hear him calling you. If you want to know the truth, give Jesus your earnest attention. Jesus said himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Listen, the world is full of deception and half-truths, false promises, and failed hopes. But there are many, listen, there are too many false voices and ideas we can listen to and follow. But Jesus speaks truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I remember when I was uh, about, yeah, 15, 16, in in Brooklyn, the, the gangs were rising up again. And, 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 and this is how you knew if, if the dude was in all red, like matching red from top to bottom and he had a flag, he was a blood. If he was in all blue with a flag, he was a crib. If he was all yellow, he was a Latin king. And I remember I had three best friends. Uh, one of them was Frankie and another one was Wes. And I remember the last time, the last summer we actually hung out. And what happened was he told me he wanted to join the Latin kings. And I was like, for what, man? Like, come on, man. Like, you know, it's, it's nothing but fights. You know, it's, it's nothing but trouble. Like, you don't need that, bro. Come on, just chill. And I remember him telling me that they, literally, their recruiting process was, like, giving them what they call knowledge. Like, these rules and these values and these principles. And somehow it connected with him. And he started buying into the promises that the Latin kings were making. That he would have status. That he would have money. That he would have an army behind him. That he would always have brothers. That he'll never be alone. And I was like, bro, we're here, man. See, I'll be honest with you, he was believing the lies of a false kingdom. And and yeah, we, we, we knew each, like we stayed in touch, but things were never the same. That's the world for you. And I know that's him and gangs, but that, that could be, man, that could be politics. That could be way too much social media. That could be anything right now that just causes you to drift away from the truth. And I got I to gotta testify, too. Two years ago, we actually connected again on Instagram. He disassociate, disassociated with, with the Latin Kings, and he was like, hey, man, I'm in nursing school now. And, uh, hey, I'm calling you because I want you to know, like, I believe in Jesus today. Praise God, right? 
Come on, praise God, yes. No one is beyond saving. Jesus is the one who transfers us out of these kingdoms and out of these lies and brings us to the truth. My friend Wes was able to bear witness to the truth and believe in the truth. We too can be of the truth and welcome into his eternal kingdom. Do you believe this morning? Are you sitting here and and do you genuinely believe that Jesus died for you? We pray you do. Look at verse 38. Now, Now look at Pilate's response to everything Jesus just said. Jesus just exposed some major truth to Pilate. And Pilate's response is, what is truth? This to me is one of the saddest verses in scripture. Here the truth is staring him dead in the eye. Pilate is face to face with the truth. And he dismisses it. Doesn't Pilate sound like a culture today? What is truth? Is it my opinion? Is it my feelings? Is it my experience? Is it my story? My narrative? Is this my truth and your truth? That's your truth. This is my truth. Does truth start with me? I think it's important for us to take a moment to answer this question. What is truth? Because it is an important question for our day. Truth is reality. And its original source and roots are not found in people. It's not found in society. It's, it's not just found in philosophy. It's found in God himself. Truth has a divine nature, has divine origin, the internal triune God and all his knowledge and words found in scripture are both true and the final standard of truth. If you want to look at the slide, look, look, the triune God shows it to us. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth and the life. In John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. In Deuteronomy 32, 4, the, the God is called the God of truth. Here again is the whole truth. Apart from God, we can know true things and live for a short time, short time on this earth. But to live eternally, we need the truth. We need Jesus. We need to confess the truth that we have turned from God. That we need, we need to accept the truth that, that Jesus is our only savior. The only way to find forgiveness and new life. We need to live by the truth and follow Jesus walking in obedience to him. And as we examine Pilate's response, what is truth? It's hard to say for sure what that's, what was behind, what was at the heart of his question. Was it just dismissive? Was it skepticism? Was it curiosity? Was it sincere? Did he really want to know? I can't necessarily answer that for you, but I will say this. The conversation ended there. And I think, unfortunately, one thing we know is that he did turn away from the truth. He must have believed that Jesus was a harmless philosopher or impractical dreamer, but he saw no threat in Jesus. And having displayed a lack of interest in truth, Pilate then also reveals a lack of commitment to justice. He lacked the courage of his convictions. If Jesus was innocent of all charges, then Pilate should have just set him free, right? But instead, 
Pilate began this series of compromising moves to avoid dealing with the inconvenient truth of a difficult circumstance. See, we too can be caught between a rock and a hard place in life. But like Pilate, if we don't have truth, we won't have strong convictions. And without strong convictions, we will compromise to the, whim, to the whims of, of other people, of culture, of sin, of the influence of the world. And now, we'll see Pilate's attempt to work this out on his own. Let's see the verdict. He says he's not guilty. Jesus is found not guilty. And so Pilate proceeds, verses 39 through 40. He says, but you have a custom that I should release a man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. When he says this was a custom, it wasn't an official Roman custom. It was actually something Pilate did for the Jews in Judea. Pilate personally put this into place for the Jews. Pilate was thinking Jesus must be more popular than Barabbas. They had a huge welcome for him a week ago. Maybe this will settle the matter. If they want blood, maybe they could get it through Barabbas, who's already scheduled to be killed. He's convicted to death. And notice, he offers to release the king of the Jews. Again, demonstrating, demonstrating his, his rashness toward the Jews by his sarcasm. Pilate really thought he was in control. He thought he had control of this whole situation. So he makes an offer to the people. Do you want the king of the Jews or Barabbas? And to Pilate's surprise, they chose Barabbas, a robber. Some commentators say that he was a guerrilla resistance fighter being held for execution. Barabbas was already condemned. And the chief high priest would rather let a robber go than release Jesus from being executed. And here is when I believe Pilate knew there may not be a way out of this one. I'm going to have to kill an innocent man. It's either that or I have a riot in my hands. And Rome is coming after me. He won't be able to ride the fence on this one. He's either going to kill Jesus or be the cause of a riot. And sadly, we'll see that he caves under the pressure and ultimately sentences Jesus to death. Pilate missed the truth that Jesus stood. As, Pilate missed the truth as Jesus stood before him. And when Pilate didn't know, what he didn't know is that today in this text, Pilate is judging Jesus. What Pilate didn't know is that one day, Jesus would be the one doing the judging. And as we close this morning, I want to give us five takeaways from this conversation. And I promise I'm done. First thing, the kingdom of the world seeks to control behavior while the kingdom of God seeks to transform lives from the inside out. Pilate wanted to control the situation. That's what he thought, he, that's what he thought his power was. Controlling the situation. But Jesus, in his purpose, wasn't to control the situation. In fact, it was to bring transformation. Hear me, behavioral modification cannot earn us entrance into God's kingdom. 
We don't get in by a good streak of behavior. We need to be changed from the inside out. We need what's called regeneration. We need new life for God's kingdom. Jesus said in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We need the miracle of salvation. Here's the second takeaway. We, just like Pilate, must come to our own conclusions about Jesus. Either to turn to the truth or to turn from the truth. Hear me, this is the biggest, most important question every person must answer. Who is Jesus? And, and we must come to a conclusion about him because hear me, this is, don't, don't be pilot here. We must come to a conclusion about Jesus because one day Jesus will come to a conclusion about us. I pray the Lord gives you ears to hear. Jesus was before Pilate not to take anything from him. Think about that. Jesus wasn't trying to give Pilate a tough time. He was trying to give him a kingdom. He was trying to invite him into the true kingdom. And maybe you feel like you're going to lose by following Jesus. And I will be honest. There is a cost to following Jesus. You do take some losses. But what you get is far greater. You get a kingdom that knows no end. You get a king who loves you. You get a, a father who always welcomes you. It's why the apostle Paul could say with confidence to live is Christ and to die is gain. And here's a third takeaway. The whole truth is that we are all like Barabbas. We are Barabbas. Apart from God... Before Jesus, some of you may be Barabbas even now. Barabbas was condemned in his sin. We have, we were condemned in our sin and unbelief. Barabbas was hopeless and alone. Barabbas was known for his sin. You saw how he described him at the end? They chose Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber. We all had a title given to us. Ed was, was, was lustful. Uh, this guy was the drunkard. He was the angry one. She was the, the liar. She was the gossip. Like there's, there was, he was the robber. But there was a king from another kingdom who willingly took our place for our freedom. The punishment that was Barabbas, the one that he deserved, the one that Barabbas deserved, Jesus took it. You ever think about that? Like Jesus is Barabbas' substitute. He died in his place. Barabbas was potentially the first person Jesus' death ever saved. And I know we don't know in eternity. I mean, but what we're saying here is, is what about you? Who's taking your place? Are you taking this on yourself? Today could be the day Jesus gives you new life and a new identity. No more Dan fill in the blank. No more Mary fill in the blank. A whole new identity. Son and daughter of the living God. Free, forgiven. And if you're dealing with condemnation, condemnation this morning, I'm going to welcome the worship team to come on up. If you're dealing with condemnation this morning, hear me. Consider this. Pilate looked at Jesus 
talked with Jesus, and his verdict was not guilty. And then he comes and he takes a man who's already condemned, who already has a sentence, who is guilty, who is convicted. And he lays them before them. And Jesus takes Barabbas' place. Which means that Barabbas got Jesus' place. Bible tells us that he who knew no sin... He became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. If you feel condemned today, I need to tell you that because of what Jesus has done, you can be as free as Barabbas. Because of what Jesus has done, there is no, the Lord himself, God the Father, looks at you and says, not guilty. Because of what Jesus has done, he looks at you and he says, righteous. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross and saying, it is finished. God the Father looks at your case, dismisses it and says, case closed. Come on, praise God. You don't have to walk in that condemnation today. Because Jesus made himself available. He willingly took our place. And if you would put your faith in him, if you would trust in him, if you would give your life to him, you would experience the glory of our king. I want to close with this verse. And I'm going to invite you to sing. And we're going to sing to our king this morning. Colossians 1.13 says this. Because of what Jesus has done, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Church, would you stand with me this morning? You don't have to walk in darkness anymore. You don't have to be bound. You don't have to be walking in shame and guilt. The king has come from another world to deliver us. And to transfer us into his kingdom. I pray you put your faith in him today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. That you come to save. And now cause our hearts to sing that we have a king from another world. Who came to take our place. And came to transfer us out of the domain of darkness. And has welcomed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.